0: uh mm-hmm. St. George, family, Troopers Hill and money in brown paper bags.
1: Welcome to St. George. It's a part of East Bristol where family comes above everything else and always has done. To the northwest there's the beautiful St. George's Park. In the southeast you'll find Troopers Hill, that's the one with the chimney on top. And between the two, right through the middle, is the busy Church Road, where I am now, outside a very special shop. Hello. Alex, how are you? Come on
2: in. I'm uh, Roberto Cimino, and uh, I work in Giacomo's barber shop, which I I run alongside my brother Marco. And I'm Marco Cimino, I
3: uh, work here at Giacomo's as well. These are my clippers. They
2: actually perform magic. (laughs) <laughs> My father, Giacomo, was, was born in uh, Naples, Mugnano, Naples, in Italy, uh, 1948, and uh, he, he, came to Brito, well, he came to Bristol in November 1966, came over, I think, a, sh- a shoe case tied with string round it, you know, uh, they, they didn't have a lot of money back then. Yeah, it was very tough for him, uh, he was 18 years old and uh, couldn't speak a word of English. He had a contract. He was working up uh, on Colston Street in a hairdresser's on Colston Street. A lot of people discovered other talents. You know, he used to do a lot of people from the Colston All actors. Uh, I think the famous one he did was Cary Grant. He wasn't sure who he was in the beginning. It was it was it was quite comical.
3: My father started this business back in 1969. Cool little spot in our history as well. A cool spot for St. George too. He had this kind of like flamboyance with her, you know, he was going through a great time of life, a great period, I suppose. You had the mods, you had the DAs, you had the Teddy boys, you had flat tops, you had everything. He had it all in his locker. That's the sound of the engineering of of the great father chair had a, an amazing accent on him. You could never quite guess where he was from. Are you Italian? Are you Bristolian? It's like, no, he's definitely like Bratallian.
2: Marco, fan breast, no?
3: sprigadi, Fan Brest. if I do a prostitute. Well.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the smell you would find in barber shops. where I was like uh, walking into a fog. It, everybody smoked back then in the in the old days and uh, yeah, cleaning the astries is something to remember. We would always have a radio on. My dad, he liked all sorts of music. I'm not saying they were all good either.
3: Even some like uh, the old-fashioned Neapolitan tarantellas, you know, which are quite unique.
1: Meanwhile, in a private garden not too far away,
4: My name's Rob Acton Campbell. I'm a committee member of Friends of Troopers Hill. When we were first investigating the history of Troopers Hill, we found a magnificent quote that describes the hill really well as it, as it is now. It said, Many a frock was torn and
5: many, and and many a tumble, tumble we met with. with before we reached the Arch Summer House oh, wow. with the bath in the middle That's really impressive. at the very top of the hill. Right, let's have a look inside. And oh, oh, what a view, a view we, we, had we had then! There.
4: We looked further into that quote and found it was written by somebody called Elizabeth Emra, who was the daughter of the vicar of St George Church in the 1830s. That house that she describes with the bath in the middle is where we're sitting now and talking. She wrote a book, the one that's best well known is uh, Scenes in Our Parish by a country parson's daughter. At the time, the book became really well-known, but she didn't put her name in and she didn't say where she lived, so it was, it was a country parson's daughter. It could really be in any, anywhere in a, sort of on the edge of a city anywhere in the UK. I think probably she didn't want to be the focus of things. She just she wanted it to be... Just, it was a description of the people who lived in St George. And perhaps that's what makes it such a good book to read, that it is just a story of ordinary life.
1: Just a few minutes' walk takes you to the very top of Troopers Hill...
5: The
1: steep
6: climb. Yeah, yeah, but you get used to it. My name is Steve Britton. My family have lived in the Cruise Hole area of St George as far back as I can remember. The smell of the tar and the naphthalene. its just part of the the memories of of, of living here that just that will just stay with you. It was not not quite so nice in the sort of. Pre-80s, it was more of a, of a wasteland than a, than a conservation area that it is now. That's catkins. Willow catkins, isn't it? Obviously, it was a lot more industrial and a lot more dangerous back then. On the opposite side of the river, there were St Anne's board mills. Me, my dad and my sister all came up uh, onto the hill and watched a controlled explosive demolition of one of the large chimneys which was quite exciting at that young age. I think I'd probably find it exciting now, to be honest with you. The Cruise Hole River was quite a popular, smooth spot. The water that came out of the board mills raised the temperature of the river quite a bit, and uh, my father actually lost his watch uh, somewhere in that river. (laughs) I'm not going to look for it. (laughs) That was 50-odd years ago. It's all changed now. But because of that industrial past, you can still see the signs, the walls that are made of the old blast furnace slag. You can still see the chimney. It's a East Bristol landmark that you can see right across the city. And when you see it, you know you're almost home. Sometimes the gate's not there. How can we get in? There you go. Feel free. Oh, wow. I haven't been inside this chimney <laughs> <laughs> since I was about seven. I don't think.
1: Did you used to play in here
6: as a kid? I came. We came in here a few times. I've never. I've never climbed up the inside. Um, I know people that did. They
1: climbed up. Yeah. There. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what's the diameter? Do you think?
6: It's probably about four foot across. Is it? Getting narrower into sort of two to and a half feet. <laughs> And the entrance is quite small. The entrance is quite small. It was a lot easier when I was seven.
1: <laughs> Should we get out? Yeah.
3: So this is Dad's side, which is uh, which his kind of shrine at the moment. Yes, this uh, it was an older photo of food Dad.
2: Uh, looking very, very handsome and, and, uh, and happy that day, very. Which
3: was uh, literally only three months before he passed away, his scissors and comb I gave to him on his on his funeral day, so I let him take that with him. He was such a lovely man. just can't believe you know until it sort of happens to you
2: that how how, how serious cancer is when it affects someone that's that close to you, yeah, it affects everybody. we're dealing with it our way, and then you know, then you come to work and you got all of our customers asking how is he and then they have to break the news to a lot of people. And then it's it's, it's hard, it's it's just the constant reminder. You know, again, every day we're reminded of him because we're in his shop.
3: I feel like as if I was robbed from my own father, my my teacher really, you know, my, my best mate, my best bud.
5: When the maypole is lifted into its place it is with a shout of rejoicing and bright wild flowers are hung about it and glad faces look up at it. And there was nothing but joy in the first celebration of the strawberry feast.
4: Elizabeth Emra, it's very clear that her her brother must have died on, I, I think on the day of one of the strawberry feasts. From what she says it's clear he must have drowned in the river.
5: You can hear even now the shout of the clear, sweet voice that is hushed forever. Oh, the glory of our party is gone. We shall have no more strawberry feasts. Oh, my dear friend, you should not have given me this subject, and I should not have attempted to write on it.
4: She's writing about something that as a child she obviously enjoyed, but then that event, the death of her brother, kind of took the enjoyment of that day away, really, and the and the happy memories of that day are are mixed with those memories of losing her brother.
5: I went to pay a visit to our clerk's wife and her newborn twins. I had never seen twins, and I remember feeling much delight. More so, I suppose, than the poor relations could be when I heard that two had been added to the already large family.
4: The book is about life and death in St George, and in truth, it's mostly about death, because that was really was what life was about. I mean, anyone who, who made it through to be an old person had really done really well, and chances are they would have lost some of their children along the way.
5: It was when the snowdrops came that I looked first on the delicate creatures. The snowdrops faded, but the white roses and lilies of the valley opened just in time to strew in the short, wide coffin.
4: Life must have been a real struggle for all of them. They were trying to grow their own food and get it to market, to sell it. Children died, life expectancy was very low, and uh, yeah, that was just the way of life. It's very sad that uh, there's such an obviously intelligent and somebody who could write and somebody who could actually help the poor of the area, that her life ended so soon. She died just under 30 years old, very soon after the birth of her last child.
3: So she had eight children. There you go. I've been married now for seven years to a wonderful woman. She's absolutely lovely. She's given me two beautiful children, my oldest daughter, Sienna, and my son, Giacomo, after my father. I I have no doubt that the minute I bring my children into the shop that they'll fall in love with it and they'll want to do it. We still get customers coming in from generations where their parents used to see my father and how I cut their children's hair now and I even cut their grandchildren's hair.
2: Yeah, you know, we're like psychiatrists as yeah. well. We help people with their problems. We listen. That's the nice thing as well, we listen. And talk a lot as well. Yeah, he talks more.
4: <laughs> Family is still important to people in St George, same as it was in Elizabeth Emmer's time. There are a lot of families who live here, who, who have lived here for many years and where there's three or more generations of the same family still living in the same area. Um, and apparently there's well, it's, it's more of that here in St George than there are in other parts of the city. And uh, there are people in St George who, who do their best to look after the community and help the community and help others in the community. And that is the same
6: sort of thing that Elizabeth Emmer is
0: doing.
6: I don't think, think I would ever want to move away from the area. I think there's always a part of me that will be in St. George. It draws you back. It draws you back. It's a lovely spot.
3: I'm really, really happy to be here in in memory of dad. I just wanted to keep going for as long as possible. Hopefully he's proud. And I'm sure he is. I'm sure he is. I'm sure he'll probably say we could do more as well, but you know, he would always find something.
6: (laughs) That's a rainbow? Hey for St. St. George. It's beautiful, isn't
0: it? Named after the English patron saint, the area of St. George was formerly part of Gloucestershire. It was once a mining area and the end of the tram line from the city centre to Beaconsfield Road, back in the day.
1: Do you remember the part of the London 2012 Olympic opening ceremony where the arrival of the Industrial Revolution is illustrated? In a peaceful green landscape, spunking chimney stacks arose from the ground, marking a dramatic shift in history. And I like to think that one of those chimneys could be the Troopers Hill chimney, which dates back to as late as the 18th century, built for one of the copper smelting works at the bottom of the hill. It sits at the top of Troopers Hill, a 300 million year old rock in St George, East Bristol. Now, a local nature reserve, with a wide range of wildlife present, Troopers Hill has changed a lot over the years and become a place dear to the people of
7: St George. Our role is very much acting as a kind of interpretation to the public about what's special about the hill. That's Susan Acton Campbell, the chair of Friends of Troopers Hill.
1: I went to see Susan and her husband Rob in their home in St George to hear more about the work that
7: they do. The next generation is so important. The people who are going to carry on looking after Troopers Hill are going to be the people that are children now. And if they don't learn that it's a great place to be, it's fun, but there's also some really special stuff there, there's not going to be that next generation looking after it. Mm. Um, When we first started as friends of Troopers Hill, paths were getting overgrown. Uh, There was so much litter on the site that on our first litter pick, we filled a skip with rubbish. Um, The second time, it was a half-size skip. Um, And after we tidied up, people started taking a pride in the site and feeling they owned it. It's covered with heather and broom and plants and grasses and we describe it in our leaflet as a wild romantic place, which for a place in the city it is.
1: We're sat in your living room and we can see you through the hill from here. Yeah. Would
7: you ever move? Rob has said he will only go out in a box. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
4: it's go- it would be really difficult to find somewhere with a view as fantastic as this, mm. uh, so close to all the immunities of the centre. I think really just St George and East Bristol the, as a whole is just, is just a wonderful place to live and I think it's really, every, you know, people think of Bristol and people think of the suspension bridge and they think of the dams and whatever, but I really think there's a lot more in, in East Bristol. There's the river, there's uh, St Anne's Woods, Nightingale Valley, you can go up across Snuff Mills and onto Stoke Park and I, I, I really think East Bristol is, it undersells itself. And people, you quite often see maps in tourist brochures or whatever, and East Bristol distance isn't there at all. And I think, I think we there really is a, a a need really to 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 sell it more and to to let people know what a fantastic area there is here. Although having said that, perhaps we don't want all that many more people because <laughs> it, it is sometimes just nice to be in the quiet, and uh, you can sit in the middle of the, in the gully and uh, just you can't see any houses. You can hear some bird song, You can hear bees buzzing. Um, and you you don't really you're not really aware at all that you're in the middle of a city. Um, a lot of what we're doing really is acting acting like grazing animals would. So, the hill used to uh, at one point in history it was called Donkey Island because people used to people who lived around here used to keep their donkeys on there because they used to use the donkeys to take their produce they produced in the market gardens around here into town. And Troops hill was on the place where they kept their donkeys, so it was it was grazed. Um, And then in the 1940s, apparently there was a lot of rabbits on it. So again, there was animals grazing it Um, But that doesn't happen now and with the uh, air around here being less polluted and cleaner than it used to be uh, a lot of trees and scrub and stuff grows Would grow now where it wouldn't have grown in the past and so we're sort of by doing our work parties We're acting like those grazing animals taking out these trees and things before they grow to keep the grassland and heathland open so um, so yeah, you can't always see the work we've done, but sitting here looking at it, we know that if we hadn't done that work, then there'd be lots of areas there which are now covered in heather and get wonderful yellow flowers in the summer that just would be overshadowed by trees and and the whole place would look completely different if, if we hadn't done what we do.
1: That's a really nice way of looking
7: at it as well, as
4: grazing
1: animals.
7: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I don't, I don't think some of our volunteers would appreciate being thought of as, as grazing yeah, donkeys. We don't actually, we don't actually
4: eat the stuff that we eat.
7: Cut. Particularly in summer, to hear all the buzzing of the different insects, and you know those species of insects just wouldn't be there if it, if the woodland had been allowed to march over the hill, the scrub to take take root. Um, there, there wouldn't be the variety of invertebrates there. We wouldn't hear those grasshoppers and crickets um, making their shrill sounds. It would be a completely different place if if our volunteers hadn't been working since two thousand three. Yeah, two thousand three. It would be looked very similar to, but a bit smaller than the rest of the woodland that we can see on the left hand from here, the left hand side of the hill. And it's really also the people in that equation. This is a site completely surrounded by housing, and so it's got to be a site that's there for people as well as wildlife, and that's what we try and work to.
4: I think one of the most important things is most of the people who come, if not all of them, are all local. So that we're not—it's not like something that's attracting people across the city. We don't want to do that. It's local people coming to look over the, uh, look after their local space. Mm. Um, we we've always aimed our events at local people as well, and the advertising, and the things that uh, guided walks, and things that we do at local people, because we don't want we don't we want people to enjoy the hill, but we don't want hundreds of people driving across Bristol to come and block up all the roads and everything. We, we want local people to take a pride in the site and enjoy the site and mm. uh, help look after it.
7: And part of our driver is that we do get people coming randomly up out of the blue. Uh, while we're doing a work party, while we're walking walk across the hill, they'll just come up to us and say, "Thank you so much for all you do." And we're thinking, "Gosh, oh, this is this is so nice," Because it it really does make a difference when people say thank you. Yeah. yeah, it's good. And some of them have no time to be involved, but just that moral, moral support makes the difference. Uh, yeah, this this is a great place to live. The only negative is hills except we've got this fantastic view but if we get old and have mobility problems I'm sure modern mobility scooters
8: will be helped to cope.
1: (laughs) Get you up on the
8: hill. I can remember I was at work and I worked off the feeder which is just down the road. That's Christina Wilkinson who has lived next to Trooper Hill since the 80s. I'm receiving a phone call from my daughter who was off on school holidays, saying that there was a big fire up on the Troopers Hill. So I was driving along. I said, I come home and I was driving along the feeder. And as I was driving home, I could see all these flames. So when I got home, it was like, there was lots of flames all over. The fire brigade were there, there was, but I, I can't remember exactly how many engines were there, about four.
7: Mm.
8: And um, we stood by our window and it was so hot, it felt like the window was gonna melt. Obviously it wouldn't have melted, mm. I don't think so, but it was really hot, so we had to stand away from the window. Then we decided, I can't remember how this came about, but we got our wallpaper pasting table out and we put it on the drive and we put like squash out up there for the firefighters
1: That's really lovely. And they
8: were, like, taking a drink because, obviously, it was getting really hot for them because it's hot weather as well. Put that table out there and we left them to it to get get their their drinks as and when they wanted. And then we would look out the window and they would acknowledge what we'd done, like, look up at us and smile. And then they just basically got on with, you know, fighting the fire. Because it was so dry out there because it was a hot summer that the flames, yeah, they were massive. You just thought, oh, the house is gonna catch on fire. Everything was going on, the flames, I mean, from here, you can see right across Troopers, like it, the flames were really high. The fire brigade are fantastic, aren't they? Mm. They'll easy get it under control. Like before, it was pretty wild over there. I think now what they've done with it, the way they've trimmed it all back, I, I don't think it would go up like that again. It's all trimmed now that people look after it, but it was really wild years ago nobody used to do anything with it. I think, because we look at it every day, you just get used to it, it's there. But if I was to move anywhere else, I'd be looking at a house, not looking at that. So mm. much nicer to look out at that. Because like when then my daughter was young, all her friends from this road, because there was lots of young ones there, used to climb up that tree there. Which... Jessar, I think it's a hazelnut tree.
0: Yeah.
8: And um, they used to wave at me. In the living room. That's really sweet. <laughs> we get like lots of wildlife. We get lots of different birds. Like when we sat here, we could see all the different birds on the trees. We get deers. The deers would be out there and they come out the back as well. Oh, really? Yeah. They'll stay there for days at the back.
1: Nice. Mm. It's clear that Trubisil is a really important site for wildlife, and I wanted to find out more, so I went to see ecologist Rupert Higgins.
9: I first visited Troopers Hill in the mid-1980s when I was working for Avon Wildlife Trust and have visited it very regularly, very frequently since then.
1: In terms of Troopers Hill, what would you say is special about it?
9: It's, it's a fascinating mix of natural soils and waste from the various industrial activities that have been there and that makes for a very interesting mixture of plants that grow there the heath and a lot of the other acid loving species are very unusual in and around Bristol. The mixture of different sorts of vegetation and things like the slopes of bare soil and the rock faces mean that it's an exceptional site for insects amongst the most important sites in the region for bees in particular.
1: How?
9: Of there are around 250 species of bee in Britain, most of them are solitary bees they don't form colonies and of those 250 species 84 have been recorded at troopers hill some of them are nationally rare and there's exceptionally large numbers of some species that occur there
1: how important is the work that friends of troopers hill are doing to that happening
9: without anyone doing anything to it it will eventually become covered in scrub and trees if that were to happen the rare species that make it so special would disappear would die out from the area and we get woodland which would be very similar to woodland all the way across cruise hole so we'd lose the very particular habitats that we've got at Troopers Hill and one thing I like doing for instance on Troopers Hill two years ago I found a little plant called birds foot which hadn't been recorded there for over a hundred years and maybe it had always been there all that time but very little of it or maybe it had disappeared and come back but it always gives me a thrill to find a plant like that knowing that someone a hundred years ago found it in the same place. I think
4: True Hill is a, is a prime example of what they should be doing everywhere else across the city. So,
7: um... we, we each can reinforce the message about how important it is. Our actions can impact on the ecology of the world and it's also linked together with climate change. I don't think you can you can separate uh, ecology from climate, and the more people who are shown as being good examples of a way of doing things, and people, if people can see the benefit of it, then the more people, other people, are likely to follow examples that are being set.
4: A lot of a lot of uh, the older people who've been lived here for many years, of course, they they don't. When they were younger troop, they used to play on Troopers' Hill and some of them don't really appreciate quite how important it is for wildlife because I mean parts of it the, the woodland alongside it was a, in the 1960s and 70s was a tip so you know they, they it wasn't appreciated then how important it is so a lot of what we're doing is getting the message across about how important it really is as a, as a habitat but still it's always been an open space um, and we found stories from the ni- from the 1880s of it being used as an open space as a celebration when Handel Cosham was elected as the MP for East Bristol. Apparently there was a big celebration on Troopers Hill with thousands of people, 4,000 people. 4,000
7: people. There was a procession from Barton Hill with a brass band and they marched to the top of Troopers Hill and they had fires going in oil and tar barrels. And it sounds like an amazing scene.
1: What are your hopes for the future of
7: Troopers Hill? Oh, Rob's pointing at me. <laughs> oh, dear. Right, the future of Troopers Hill. Well, what we hope is that people will continue to value the site, continue to care for the site, that the children that we're aiming a lot of our activities at will carry on caring for it as they get older, carry on loving it, uh, will work to protect it, uh, to learn about all the aspects associated with Troopers Hill. We're hoping that, that the future of Troopers Hill will be secure because the youth of today will be caring about it, defending it, working on it, enjoying it um, for generations the passing it on to the future generations, that's what we're hoping.
0: So what does St. George mean to me? I remember being dragged to the Tuskegee Metro on the High Street. I never wanted to go, and my grandparents would tease me about it. It was where my mum and her siblings went to school, including the City Academy in the old school building in St. George Park. Now a Sikh temple, and more. Oh, there was the uh, St. George Labour Club, the police station, now all gone. To finish... Let's listen to stories of the Blitz with Mr. Hedford. This interview was recorded in 1988.
10: Then another night we was at the boys' club in Chalks Road and the sirens went. We went over the park.
5: Okay.
10: And uh, we went all, the, took the boys and that over and we went all the, over in the shelters in, in St. George's Park. In fact, it was one night, was but next morning when we listened to the radio, the pilot of one of the aircraft, he brought several German German bombers down or something, mm. and that, that was supposed to have been in over Bristol that particular night.
5: Mm.
10: Well, the next time the, I don't know how many nights later it was now, but the next time the sirens went, we didn't go in the park, it was a good job we didn't. We went off somewhere else. Mm. But, I mean, a couple of bombs dropped in the park.
7: Whereabouts did they come in the park? Was that is that where the playground is now, roughly? Approximately, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Approximately, yeah, yeah, approximate,
10: yeah, yeah. It is where where all the kids is playing that now. I mean, because there's asphalt there now, of course yeah. you see, but uh, they were dug underground there. The gonna be we first right in, but we didn't go in the second time. You know, it's like a lot of things you see. I mean, after one of the blitzes, my my father, for instance, he was attached to the funeral department, and then one after one of the blitz, and he'd had a bad do. and that lay everybody out, everybody had to be laid out. I never forget, it always sticks in my mind, I never forget. But anyway, what happened was in this particular, you know years ago we used to take our lunch to work, and usually it was a brown paper bag or something of that nature. And then when you finished your lunch, I did, used to do that, fold your bag up, put it in your pocket and take it back home to pick it the next day. Anyway, this body got brought in of this man anyway they had to go they had to go through the pockets of all the bodies and see what w- was in there and anyway this brown paper bag came out flat just like that and the chap said oh well I don't think we need like but I better have a look and in there was a load of tension in notes and pound notes
4: uh,
9: yeah. that's an amazing story though, yeah. isn't it yes yeah. But, yeah.
10: because to an all intent and purpose it was that flat like that that you wouldn't have taken any notice. No, but, when, but when the chaplain said, Well, we better check it, like, you yeah, know. And when he turned old it old out, time. I forget what, how much it was now. I think it was, it was only about £30 or something like that. But so many tension in notes and pound notes. Yeah. But then people took their money with them.
7: Yeah. There was
10: a shelter in Whitehall. The two people got killed in there. And I know one of the wardens went in and it was full of money in there.
7: How much money was in there? Can
10: you remember? Hundreds. Hundreds, literally, was there? Yes. But the chap that I was talking to, he said, he said I had nothing to do with it. I, I let somebody else come along and clear it out. We had said a daylight rage, for instance. Look at the one that happened Bro, um, down at uh, Broadmead there. Yeah. Killed the people on the bus outside yeah. the pub there. Okay. Affected about three buses. Yeah.
7: Can you tell me about some of your feelings?
10: <laughs> what? Well, I mean to be honest about the whole issue. I mean, it regards the feeling, with the fact that we were so much afraid because we weren't sure what was going to happen. You never knew whether you were going to be alive in the morning or not. You were glad to to think when the thing was over. I mean, sometimes it was a 12-hour raid. Sometimes it was only a short raid. I can quote various people. I mean, one, one young man I know took a young woman home and said, "Cheerio, see you tomorrow. That no, we don't worry till today." Bomb come down, blew the place up, and as far as I know she's gone, and that's yeah. it. You know, he went to pick her up next night, want the place there for him to pick up. It's gone.
7: So you'd say the whole thing was sort of very, very frightening all the time. Very, right? yes. very. Yeah. What about things like neighborliness and things like that? Did you uh, find, you know, how, you know, neighbors around you and things like that? How were they? Well,
10: <laughs> <laughs> some in some cases, they wouldn't want to come out of the houses. They stayed under the stairs. You've never seen much of them, you know. Some went to a shelter. Some had particular places where they went,
1: mm-hmm. it
10: just depended, I mean, well,
1: just tell me when the
10: raids first started, I was up more up St. George well, area, up by Bristol 5. We had a shelter in the back garden then, all, all of us in the family, we all had a, as well, you could say, we all consider ourselves fortunate, we we never got no serious injury at all anywhere, never lost no one, and uh, we all come through it, but, you know, we were glad when it was all over.
7: And tell me, what about things like rationing and things like that? How did that affect you at oh, that was different. I mean,
10: the thing is, it's like everything else. You adapt to the circumstances. If you weren't allowed so much to eat, but well, then you just use so much. And that was it. I mean, the band, the hardest thing actually was clothing. Everybody was afraid, rationing was OK. But you got used to it, and you, you know, you were limited to what you could have and you... I don't know, I suppose people were really fitter in what they are today. You know, the, you were limited to what you could have.
7: I should imagine people walked a lot more, didn't they? Oh yeah, yes,
10: oh yeah. Well, let's, let's put it this way, let's put it this way. As far as that goes, 40 years ago, you could... We could do a lot more than we can today. <laughs> I mean, at 30 years of age, you'd think so, well, that was no problem. Well, cars wasn't plentiful in those days. That's another thing. Horse and cart mostly then pony and trams. I mean that's all that's the sort of things you had prior to the war.
7: Well that's really beautiful. Thanks ever so much for
10: sharing with me. Not to worry.
0: (laughs) For this episode, I'd like to thank Alice Homewood, Sabine Groven and Richard Wheeler. This podcast has been brought to you by BCFM, Bristol's first community radio station. In partnership with Bristol 24-7, Bristol Museums, Bristol Archives and the University of the West of England. Funded by the National Lottery Heritage Fund. Cheers mate. Bye.